0: any hair left Brian are you scratching it all out over this
1: <laughs> yeah I have lots of hair because you know grass doesn't grow in a busy street mine streets not so busy so I got lots of hair right there.
0: <laughs> this is a one and only the original podcast where you can find yours and your business's true value You're listening to R-Value. Brought to you by America's Insulation source, IDI Distributors. Do you want to hear from the best contractors, suppliers, and consultants that dedicate themselves to more than just survival in the business world? Industry professionals that are dedicated to excellence in every aspect of their business? R-Value has them all here to share that same motivation and knowledge with you. Tune in and grow a more successful, profitable, educated, and recognized business. Listen to the R-Value podcast to become the industry leader in your market. Find your value with R-Value hello welcome back this is travis pancake alongside my co-host well actually on the video screen don climber getting used to seeing your face this way travis Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a distant uh, it's the new norm even though i hate that term but and we have a special guest uh co-host today steve
2: cassell i'm happy to be here looking forward to it well donnie what are we uh
0: what are we doing today who are we talking to Well, today, Travis, we have Brian Bolio uh, from ITR Economics. Brian has served as a CEO and chief economist of ITR Economics since 1987, where he researches the use of business cycle analysis and economic forecasting as tools for improving profitability. As a speaker and consultant, and a few times at the IDI National Sales Meeting, that's where we met him, Brian has provided valuable and practical advice to companies in need of domestic and global perspectives to increase profits through business cycle trend analysis, forecasting, and effective planning. He's a co-author of Prosperity in the Age of Decline, Make Your Move, and also ITR's first book for children, but I want it. I need to get that for my kids. Uh, Brian has shared his expertise through various media outlets, including USA Today, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, First on Fox, and numerous other outlets, and now we have them on the R-Value podcast. Today with Brian, we are going to touch on the latest information on the virus, the stock market, retail sales, and what the leading indicators are telling us about the near and medium term. We'll take a look—a brief look at the monetary and fiscal policies and the impact they are likely to have on people and businesses in the months and potentially years to come. So as Travis always says, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show because the timing couldn't be more perfect to have Brian on. Welcome, Brian.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. That was a very nice intro. I very much appreciate it. No problem. Uh, this is a strange time for somebody like uh, me or uh, even ITR in general because uh, we deal with business cycle trend analysis, and that's two black swans and all the unintended consequences of those two black swans have thrown a lot of that uh, out the window. So we've been scrambling and working to redefine, um, what's going on and, and come at this with a, 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 a new perspective because you're dealing with the unprecedented, uh, you've got to think differently. We're rounding the bend in a lot of different ways and, uh, the extreme doom and gloom that, uh, characterized March uh, and was really, Understandable uh, but ill placed is giving way to uh, some good news. And it's, I think it's extremely important that people start to think about planning through this and understand that there is another side of this and the economy is going to uh, shift back into a rising trend. I don't get into discussions about what is the new normal because uh, I know normal is always a relativistic. Uh, concept anyways, depends on the individual. But I can tell you we're going back into an old normal and that um, once the shackles are free, we are going to be growing again in our economy and probably more so in our economy than we're going to see uh, in, in some other economies because of who we are, our culture and everything else that's going on. So there's, uh, there's lots of um, good topics out there right now. So I think that we're... Well-timed here.
0: With all that said, Brian, you know there was a there was a conversation on uh, Trends Talks about um, this was a while back, I believe it was in February, about a 2022 recession. What does that do to that uh,
1: forecast? Everything that we're going through today uh, and have been going through um, has taken a lot of the stress off the economy come 22, 23. And let me give you an example of what we we mean by that. Um, We've been watching for quite some time now how the S&P 500 is grossly elevated compared to um, profitability, corporate profitability in particular uh, domestic companies and relative to the economy's growth, relative to retail sales. I mean, it was just a very expensive market and we were thinking that the uh, S&P would come down in association with that 22 23 downturn that all the liquidity that's out there uh would keep the market afloat uh, through 20 and into deep into 21 before uh, the correction would be had the fact that the market came down so much since middle of february has taken a lot of that pressure uh, off that particular imbalance. And it's an example of how some of the pressure has been relieved. When you talking, getting into the stock market though, I mean, if, if this is the extent of the pain in the stock market and it's going to have a relatively normal rebound out of this, then, um, we may still be looking at in a situation where at least the stock market is, um, imbalanced relative to the economic growth and, and another bear market could be out there in our future. But for now, assuming that, uh, the imbalances are going to be played out here in 2020, uh, we've moderated our outlook for the downturn in 22, 23. And you may recall, Don, how we had the, uh, a very modest one quarter decline here in 20 in our outlook and then a multi-quarter decline out there in 22 and on into 23. Well, those, those have switched positions. Uh, first quarter, second quarter decline in GDP here in 2020, um, is taking the place of the 22, 23 downturn of, on steroids. And we only have one quarter of decline in GDP out there in 22. So, uh, uh, so we just hit the fast forward button switched a little bit.
0: Yeah, hit the... yeah we brought it forward. So how, how, is that good or bad? I mean, that might be a dumb question, but hitting the fast forward button, does that affect anything
1: else down long term, down the road? Not hitting the fast forward button per se, but all the repercussions, the unintended consequences of everything that we're going through are clearly going to have an impact. Down the road. And, and in particular, I'm thinking about um, the CARES Act, uh, HR 6201, and the federal stimulus, uh, the Federal Reserve stimulus programs. Uh, those are large. I mean, we've never yeah. seen a stimulus package this size of GDP, this percentage of GDP before. This is huge. And it is creating a mountain of debt where we are already creating another mountain of debt. So this is just adding on to that. So you have to wonder, okay, are we ever going to get around to cleaning, sopping up some of this excess spending, or are we just going to leave it out there and let the, you know, the interest expense grow uh, out there through time and worry about paying it off at some future date? And in terms of the Federal Reserve's stimulus program, uh, are they going to sterilize this? Uh, because we're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars that they're creating here. Uh, are they going to sterilize it or are they going to run the risk of inflation, uh, in a post 23 environment? Uh, those are significant questions. And if they sterilize it, then you expect certain course of action in the economy. And if they don't sterilize it, then we're all going to be seeing a lot more inflation in the second half of this decade until it finally, um, becomes more of a burden than we can bear. So this is the, we didn't gain anything by hitting that, uh, fast forward button. We created some other issues, uh, for down the road. This is a dang interesting time to be an economist. I tell you what
2: I feel for you. Hey, Brian, this is Steve Cosell. I, I just had a follow-up to that, uh, you had, you had mentioned inflation. That was going to be one of my questions because uh, with all the liquidity coming into the market, uh, you know, one of the effects of that is inflation, and it's, it's hard to tell that right now. I, I get that, so you kind of answered that question, but you had uh, done a presentation for um, uh, Chris Novogratz's Vistage Group, and Chris is uh, one of the owners of, of IDI, <laughs> And in there, you had talked about uh, there had been seven other pertinent events, you know, like, like the one we're in right now, where the stock market has come out very, very strong out of that. And you said uh, first and second quarter would have, uh, you know, would have a downturn. But do you see the third and fourth quarter then? Do you see that same uh, market trend coming coming with the uh, the stock market coming out of this situation?
1: Uh, yes, uh, the And um, now let me parcel that yes into the the different aspects of of your question. First of all, I want to clarify something. You said very strong. Um, No, not very strong. The uh, uh, typical stock market rising trend is a 60% gain from trough to peak. Okay. Um, looking at the seven precedents that you mentioned, we're getting a range of upside activity between 56 and 85 if you allow me to round. So we're g- it's a typical rebound or maybe stronger than typical, but it's not a very strong uh, rebound. So I just want to level set people's expectations that are listening to this. Uh, um, it's just typical. Okay. And um, you know, if you're down 25% and you get a 50% rebound, all you're doing is getting back to where you started from, right? So um, even at an 85% gain, you're not a whole lot ahead of where you were before all this thing started. And 85 is probably the upside expectation on this thing. The other aspect of the stock market before we leave that um, behind for the moment is those seven precedents suggest that uh, the length of rise uh, when does happen is going to be between 11 and 26 months. Uh, This is not going to be another one of these six year rising trends as far as we can tell. Um, So you expect a relatively short duration before um, we're into some sort of difficulty again. What's really interesting to me uh, uh, is the risk apathy that was so rampant in 2018 and 19 has seemingly totally dried up. And I'm wondering how fast that risk apathy is going to come back or if it is going to come back, maybe it's going to be held in abeyance for at least 12, 18 months until people start feeling really good about things again. And then that risk apathy uh, comes back to haunt us. That's, I'm not even sure how you measure risk apathy except how much money people are investing into triple A rated bonds or other junk bonds really uh, as they pursue some sort of reasonable yield above and beyond uh, what conventional investments are are getting them. So that's one of the things we're going to be measuring very carefully um, over the course of 21 and 22 to try and get a handle on what sort of risk uh, we're looking at on the downside of the 22, 23 business cycle. But getting back into your timing question, um, yeah, I mentioned first quarter and second quarter, uh, GDP decline. And, and I mean, it's, it's a rockin' decline, obviously. But yes, we are seeing the economy in our, in our modeling begins to climb out of this hole in the third quarter of 2000, uh, 20, it climbs out even more in the fourth quarter of 2020 and by the end of 21 or early 22 GDPs back up to where we were before we went into the precipice. So it takes us 18 months, give or take a quarter to uh, just recoup everything that we will have lost in two very bad quarters. Um, but I mean, that's, that's not bad. Uh, that's a whole lot better than a lot of people think we're going to be. We can do, but we we see it based on uh, how we have performed in the past that it is doable, and it is a heck of a lot better than they're likely to see in Europe uh, coming out of this. We we have a no growth scenario in place for Europe, or actually it's an incomplete recovery scenario for Europe. Uh, which goes back to what I've been saying for over a year now. If you're going to make some equity investments, stocks, et cetera, stay U.S. focused. This is this is the place to be, and that's certainly been uh, more true now than it was when I was saying it a year ago.
0: Both you and Steve mentioned um, several situations in the past that were similar to this. This is kind of a unprecedented event that that we've never seen. You know anything like this? You know being quarantined and. Businesses shutting down, stay-at-home orders. Um, what were some of those uh, issues in the past that were similar to this that you guys reference? And you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, look at the the NAHB and the housing starts. And how how did those situations affect the housing starts? And and how do you see housing starts being affected going forward? You know, the rest of this year and in twenty twenty one. If if you want to talk to that at all,
1: the the circumstances being forced into quarantine, businesses being closed, that's unprecedented. And that's one of those uh, ramifications of uh, the pandemic that we have never seen before. No one has ever seen that before. So that's the part that's new. What isn't new is seeing the stock market uh, crater, although the, the sheer velocity of the decline in the first week 10 days was breathtaking and that was uh steeper than anything, but the overall decline that we've seen the slope of the decline in particular is what I went back and looked for in the post world war II history and found seven prior instances. And when you reach in each of those seven instances, by the way, when you achieve this slope of decline that we saw, uh, going through March in the S and P 500, it told you that you were pretty much near capitulation, pretty much near the bottom of the market. So that's part of what we're talking about in terms of, we've seen this before in terms of not the circumstances, but the ramifications of the circumstances. Now that goes into your second part about, um, how are people are going to behave when they client, you know, when they're allowed to, um, Get come out of their homes. <laughs> yeah. get released. Oh my gosh. First, uh, a lot of people like Donnie are going to have a party because they get to go to work. And, <laughs> exactly. Uh, be with other adults. Yep. <laughs> so that'll be hallelujah time. The, this is where I don't agree with some other pundits who think there's a new norm in that. Um, people are going to uh, eschew going into our, um, brick and mortar stores and that we've permanently gone over into uh, e e-commerce. I don't think that's true. You're still going to be buying your cars off a car lot. I know this caravan, but I'm saying the bulk of activity is still going to require some sort of human interaction, um, that we're not capable or enabling right now with these uh, governmental interventions. I expect that unemployment, which we all know has soared upward, is going to be sticky on the way downward. So that's going to uh, obviously retard the rebound in retail sales also. So we're not saying that the lights get flipped on soon as we're allowed out of our house, but we're, setting the circumstances where we can start to move back toward normal. And that's why we have an 18 month climb out from this hole. It is going to take a, a fair amount of time to get out of this hole, but let's not, and I, and I haven't forgotten your question about housing, but let's not forget the sheer magnitude of what the, the Congress and, and um, president Trump have done in the federal reserve. Have done. And we can go back to talking about that in a little bit in terms of uh, housing in particular. Um, Going into this mess, housing uh, was in a very good position. Uh, Housing permits, single-family homes in particular, were up uh, for the country as a whole. Um, Housing starts were up. We were getting all sorts of positive signals for that uh, market as a leading indicator, and it made all the sense in the world. So along comes COVID-19. You're told you have to stay in your house. Uh, The best we can do is virtual Um, house tours, uh, that isn't going to cut it. So we've got a big disruption to this trend, but that's the thing. That's the key word. It's a disruption to the trend that was prevailing before all this happened. See, one of the things that we've noticed, and I know the circumstances change, but, circumstances are always changing when you have a an established fundamental trend like a rise going on in housing stocks and something comes along to mess that trend up right it it's it, it it makes it stumble you you're going to go down and we see that with the new mortgage applications for actually buying a home as opposed to refinance and being down 33% year over year this is going to take a tumble we know that but it ends up looking a lot like a v not a perfect v but if you make a B with your hands, the left side is the way down. The right side, bend that angle a little bit so that it sort of looks like a either a happy L or a lazy B. That's <laughs> what's going to happen on the other side of this. Uh, and the same thing is true with housing. Uh, I'm sure home prices and that data is enough, but that's probably going to hold up reasonably well then through this period. But we're going to get back into the rise. It, it is inevitable that we are going to get back into the rise. Some markets are going to do much better than others. I, I'll be willing to bet you that um, our heavily concentrated urban areas are not going to fare as well as uh, some of the more rural areas or homes around lakes or on a mountaintop or something as people avoid close contact with others for fear of another pandemic.
0: So, Brian, I, I have a house on the market in Colorado Springs. Probably not a great time,
1: huh? <laughs> uh, well, it depends on how much of a hurry you are to sell it, I guess.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, you mentioned uh, Trump and Congress and the Federal Reserve. You want to go back and, and hit on that a little bit?
1: You know, the $2 trillion uh, was, a, was a nice jump start, really. Um, look, before we get into some of those, uh, details. Uh, I always enjoy the, the broader view because you don't want to miss the, the the big scene here. The big deal besides the size of the $2 trillion and HR 6201 was how fast they got that done. Um, In 2008, 2009, it took a lot longer to get any sort of action going in terms of fiscal stimulus. This time it was like, Oh, well, you know, there's not enough that we can do here. And then they had the federal reserve, which really didn't get its act together until 2009 last time. And now has come out with program after program after program. What we did is we went into back into 2009, and understanding the circumstances were different, but we're trying to measure the magnitude of the potential for the stimulus. And we said, okay, once fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus were aligned in 2009, how long was it before the economy started getting back on its feet in a a discernible way? And the answer to that is, uh, it took two to three months before, things started to happen. You started seeing more and more green shoots come out of the economy, so to speak. So you take March, you add two to three months and you get into the third quarter when we're likely to start getting more activity, you know, and in a causal way, I think uh, the going back to school shopping, I think get the kids ready to go back into school. Hallelujah, uh, in September <laughs> will provide a lot of the impetus for uh getting the economy moving in a discernibly positive way again. One of the things that the Congress got right and uh, their president signed the bill obviously is the uh, disbursement of those checks. The way they set that up though on uh, the aimed it correctly. Um, you know, I know a lot of my friends weren't too happy because they're not getting checks, but they didn't need the checks. They really aimed at where you're going to get the highest marginal propensity to consume for each dollar that you send out. And, uh, that was exceptionally well done now that the payroll protection plan for small businesses and now for large businesses, um, is a gift on steroids for anybody trying to run a business and and who wants to hold on to their people. You know, the, the HB uh, HR rather, uh, HB I'm 6201. There was, was a bad piece of legislation in so many ways because it scared the daylights out of people. It's, it said, you know, all right, you know, if you hold on to your people, uh, we're going to give you a tax credit, uh, probably off next year's taxes. And businesses look like that. And they said, I don't have the cash flow to wait till next year. This is stupid. And I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to figure out all the ramifications of this. I'm laying everybody off. You know, the huge surge we've seen in layoffs mm-hmm. Lay it on that um, you know, we were scared out of our wits. Then they came out and said, look, we're going to cover the payrolls. Don't do that. We're going to cover the payrolls, uh, to where at least for two months, we're going to cover the payrolls and we'll see what's going on. I think they should have led with that rather than scaring everybody into furloughing or laying uh, folks off. Although if you shut down your department store, what are you going to do? You're not going to carry those people. Anyways, you shut down the department stores. And it's not like, and I don't mean to be unkind, but, your typical retail worker isn't that indispensable in terms of difficulty finding another one to take his or her place, as opposed to an engineer or an accountant or an economist or uh, even a a really good mechanic, those high skill positions you're going to hold on to, right? And and, and therefore this is nicely aimed at keeping that part of the uh, workforce, the labor population uh, right where they are.
0: So Brian, with the uh, the PPP, uh, there's a portion in there, and now, and I'm not I'm not in your shoes, and this is just stuff that I'm reading and hearing. There's a portion in there about loan forgiveness, uh, and that being yeah. converted to a non-taxable grant later on. Is that going to have a negative effect on us down the road at all? I mean, how is there a way to tell
1: that? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, uh, I think it will have a negative, uh, effect on us down the road, uh, but let me give you my bias. Okay. Every analyst has a bias, right? You need yep. to know mine. my bias is that anytime the government interferes in the marketplace, it's going to create unintended consequences. Some of which will be positive, but more often than not, they're negative uh, because they don't they're thinking about the short term, not the long term. So let's talk about the unintended consequences that make me concerned. One, they're creating a moral hazard. What they're saying is, look, look, economy. Anytime there's trouble now, we're going to bail you out. Wow. Um, we get you back. Uh, so now we're going to be willing to trade up, trade off more and more of our economic liberty for a government uh, safety blanket. And that's a bad deal when you're trying to grow this economy in a capitalist way. Uh, you just, you've just opened the doors toward uh, some activity that is decidedly not free market capitalist oriented. And the other uh, negative consequence or the consequence that concerns me is uh, who's going to pay for all this money. And this right. is A lot of money. Who's going to pay for it? And that was well, my thought. I always wonder. <laughs>
2: well,
1: they're hoping you don't ask that question too often. <laughs> they don't want to talk about that.
2: <laughs> no. Well, and the debt impact—the uh, debt impacts are just uh, that. That's a concern of mine. Is is how this debt just keeps growing, and and how we work our way out of that. It's it's pretty amazing when you think about it.
1: Yeah, and, and you know. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with our long range forecast about how in the 2030s that's one of the mega trends that comes together to give the economy a real bad go of it for about six years. And people have been asking us, uh, do we think that is going to happen sooner because we're taking on so much more debt now because of all of this activity. Uh, And our answer to that after a lot of consideration is, No, Um, taking on more debt on an accelerated pace doesn't hasten the demise created by that debt because it's not the size of the debt that is the issue. What is the fundamental issue and what brings about the most pain is when the world, quote unquote, loses confidence in the government's ability or desire to pay off that debt. That's when you find yourself in the soup in a big way. And the same thing is true with China, right? So maybe it happens first in China and then it spills over into the U S or maybe it starts in the U S and it spills over to China. But you're talking about the world's number two and number one economy here. And we're number one. Um, that gets really bad, really fast and interest rates uh, go up really bad, really fast and you find yourself in a world of hurt. But as long as and here's the the canary in the mine, as long as the key bill is, priced at essentially a risk-free investment asset. uh, You don't have to worry about that. So what we're doing is we're developing some uh, new algorithms to monitor that uh, because we have heightened concern about it happening sooner, but it isn't yet. And I want to establish a a model that uh, will start flashing a red light when, uh, when we get too far down that road.
2: Hey, Brian, just one question from me, this is Steve again, um, if you could, we have a lot of our customers that listen to, to our podcast, right, and, and a lot of them are struggling and, and this PPP loan is, is definitely something that's going to benefit them, but if you could give them two or three points that they should be focusing on right now um, during this, this time and then coming out of this time, what would those two or three points be for our, our customer base?
1: every business had better have a very good cash flow model right now. You better have a clear understanding of the cash that's coming in and the cash that's going out. And you need to figure out if you can with over with, with PPP and without PPP, can you get through August? I think that's a safe um, horizon. Can you get through August? If you cannot, what are you going to do about it? And at least you're dealing with the hard reality at that point, rather than just wishing and hoping. Right? So it's all about the cash. What can you be doing to generate some income that's different than what you were doing before? Um, my business is doing that. Uh, We used to make a lot of money being out on the road speaking all the time. Well, we're not out on the road speaking right now. So you have to adapt. You have to adapt to the circumstances and find, a way to reach your market in new and innovative ways. So that's the second thing I would do is how can I reach my market in new and innovative ways? The third thing that I would be doing, particularly if I was in a uh, uh, business that's face to face like a real estate business or a real uh, real estate business or a retail business or an investment business where I had to meet people, I would be figuring out how I can craft my message to ensure them that they're going to be safe. What have I done to create a safe, healthy environment for them? Um, and you know, I'm just an economist folks. I don't know exactly what that would be, but I know that they're going to want some sort of emotional blanket, um, to come into your office again, at least at first. So I would find some way to give them that emotional blanket.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a good place to wrap it up. I know you're you're busy following all the 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 news out there, Brian, and and trying to get this all figured out for everybody. Uh we appreciate that. We we definitely appreciate you being on the on the show. I'm I'm actually kind of glad that uh we had to reschedule a few times because uh, uh se- selfishly, it worked out really well for us for the timing. So, thank you very much for yeah.
1: for taking Me the time too. And, and before we before we go, may I interrupt you? Because I, I don't know that we testify upon one of the best pieces of information there is uh, as far as I'm concerned. Let's do we, it. Every day, we fo- every day we follow COVID-19 deaths for the world and by country, right? Yep. And I never in my wildest nightmares thought I'd be trending deaths, but here we are. <laughs> and daily deaths totals are coming down for Italy, the U.S., the world, Spain. In other words, it looks like we're over the hump and that's incredibly important in terms of uh, them uh, releasing us from our homes in the foreseeable future. Um, if these trends were still climbing, we'd be having a different conversation, but about a week ago, um, maybe four days ago here in the U S it looks like, uh, we were, we went through the apex, and we're we're into the period now that's called abatement in in my language. Anyways, the trends are abating; the the pressure is abating uh, based on COVID nineteen. So the other big worry is uh, oil, and these very depressed oil prices, and what that could do to our economy. But first things first: let's fewer people dying. Then we'll talk about the oil. Maybe next
0: time for the listeners, you can find Brian at itreconomics.com. Um, we'll have the links down in the subscription or the description. And uh, thanks again, Brian. It was, it was very informative. I'm, I'm really thankful that you uh, decided or agreed to come on the, the show.
1: Really appreciate your time. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure and I look forward to the next time. Thank All you.
0: Right. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. you know, the, the thing that, that just sticks out in my mind from that whole podcast is, um, you know, and, and I'm sure there's a level of variance to it. But Brian saying that uh, our customers better have a, a clear understanding of cash in and cash out, and be prepared to get through August. Uh, again, you know, it could be give or take. But you know that that's been the question: is when when do we get out of this? Well, and the uh, the, the message of being innovative. You know, change your business. Not not to don't go back to how you're doing it before. What are you going to do to to get to your customers now? Yeah. Look for ways
2: to adapt, reach your market in new and innovative ways. Uh, he's a smart guy. Well, and I think one of the things we have to consider, too, is cash has a turnaround period, right? So when he says August, you can start to have that recovery in the you know late June, July timeframe, but you're not going to collect on that cash until 30 days later at, at best, right? And, Good and sometimes point. 45 to 60 days. So the actual recovery should start late June into July and then you'll start collecting on that cash so you've got to have a vehicle to bridge between when it starts to recover and when you actually are collecting that cash. you're
0: going to see it you're just not going to feel it right away that's why we had you on Steve the CFO (laughs) no problem all right well that's a wrap thanks guys